This episode contains adult language and topics that may be disturbing for some listeners. Such topics include suicide, drug use, physical or sexual abuse of a child. Listener discretion is advised. Hi, I'm Grant. And I'm Erica. And this is From From Crime Crime to to Crime. Crime. Welcome back to From Crime to Crime. If you're just joining us, uh, I don't know. That's all I I thought something would come to me by the time I got there, but it didn't. So <laughs> you're a door. I really thought it just, you know, kind of, you know, that deadline thing that would just pick me up, but it didn't. No. So oh well. At least you're here now. So hi everybody. All right. Well, you want to get into this episode because there's a lot going on in this episode tonight. There is a lot going on. And I really like this episode too. I'm a big football fan and so Diving in and getting to really understand more about kind of what happened in the Aaron Hernandez case, I really enjoyed learning more about this. Yeah. I actually did, too, because obviously, like, everybody knows the Aaron Hernandez case because it was huge. But I didn't know all the, like, details, and I didn't know how many other things were going on. So it was kind of kind of interesting to learn all the nitty-gritty. Yeah, absolutely. He was a huge name in football when he was playing, so... This was really interesting, I thought. I know I had him on my fantasy team. Hopefully hopefully not the year he went down cuz uh no. That wouldn't be great for your fantasy team. No, but I'm pretty sure it was the year before. Oh, well, he had a great year that year, so. No, I know. I still lost, but Oh, well. It was great. You know. There's no I in team. It's fine. So, we're going to get right into this. Aaron Hernandez was born in Bristol, Connecticut on November 6th, 1989. Oh, November 6th. Wonderful. Yeah. So at your wedding, we can celebrate Aaron Hernandez's birthday. Yeah, that's exactly what I was hoping to do. And every year after, yeah. we will celebrate Aaron Hernandez <laughs> on, on my wedding anniversary. Wonderful. Yep. So he was born to parents Dennis Hernandez and Terry Valentine. And they had a horrible marriage. And they even got divorced once or twice somewhere in there and then <laughs> remarried. It was turbulent. Yeah, to say the least. Yeah. And him and his older brother would describe them as fighting constantly when they were growing up. Right. And Hernandez, his older brother, his name was DJ. And their father pushed both of them really hard to obviously succeed in school, but especially and probably more importantly in sports. And he was physically abusive towards the boys and even their mom, Terry, as well. And the beatings even were alcohol related at times, but... A lot of times it was because he didn't think they were, they were trying hard enough in sports, which is totally crazy. But DJ and Aaron yeah. were terrified of their dad, but also in some ways they really idolized him. And from the outside, their dad seemed like a really good, decent guy. He had some issues in his past, but had really turned his life around and was a good f- husband and father. But behind closed doors, turned out he wasn't so nice. Yeah. He was kind of a, a dickhead. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and and it, sh- it <laughs> yeah. obviously turned out to kind of show. Yeah. In January of 2006, when Aaron was only 16 years old, his dad, Dennis, died from complications from like a routine surgery for a hernia. His mom said that he took his father's death extremely hard and he acted out his grief by rebelling against any kind of authority figures, which makes sense because his dad was pretty strict. Totally. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah. So other friends and relatives have also said that he really never got over his father's death. And following Dennis's death, Terry, their mom, had an affair with their older cousin Tanya's husband, Jeff, which, is, tell me if you lost track there, it's kind of a lot to take on, but... Yeah, that's kind of Springer. Yeah, seriously, it's all over the place. But after this affair was found out, Tanya and Jeff got a divorce and Jeff moved in with Aaron's mom and Aaron and his brother. And Aaron was pissed. And he actually ended up moving out and moving in with the cousin Tanya. So that's a whole lot of of shuffling and things moving on. And, you know, it's, it's 
tumultuous time anyway. And this is when Aaron kind of started running with the wrong crowd too, was when he started living with Tanya and he started going down a, a bad path. Yeah. And according to Aaron's brother, DJ, Aaron was also molested as a child. Yeah. A teenage boy at his babysitter's house mm. used to force Aaron to perform oral sex on him starting when he was six. Oh, wow. And continuing on for years and years. So his childhood was less than ideal. I mean, it was pretty bad in some aspects. Yeah. And the one thing, though, about Aaron's life that was pretty great was how good he was at sports and he attended Bristol Central High School where he played everything. He played basketball, track, but football is really where he kind of excelled and and went the extra mile and he started off as a wide receiver but then eventually would transition to a tight end which would make more sense for kind of his body type. Tight ends are usually taller than he was but he he's very versatile and was able to kind of go in a lot of different different areas he was able to block able to catch so a tight end really made more sense for him with how athletic he was and as a senior he was even connecticut's gatorade player of the year and he went on to make 67 catches that year he had 1800 yards and 24 touchdowns and that was just on offense he even played defense and had 72 tackles 12 sacks three forced fumbles on and on and on man (laughs) i get it like this guy's good at football man like really good sorry my notes are a little in depth i probably put way too much information in <laughs> there here. was a lot there but it's all really important stuff he was setting all kinds of state records with these things that he was doing so he was a pretty big deal yeah and during a game in 2006 aaron hernandez took a blindside hit to the head so hard that he was knocked out cold Ugh. And an ambulance had to come and take him off the field. So he had some pretty significant head injuries as a child. I mean, he's young. Yeah, and that's... He's a teenager, you know. That's gnarly. That's scary. Yeah, and after some of these, he was known to, like, not even know what was going on. Like, didn't know where he was, didn't know that he was playing football. Like, they were pretty bad head or, head injuries for a child. Yeah, somebody should have, you know, I mean, been, been paying... for an adult, but yeah, especially no as a child. Yeah, someone should have been paying a little bit more better attention to kind of what was going on with him but you know yeah it's all hearsay now but not too surprisingly Aaron Hernandez was a pretty popular kid in high school and he started dating a girl named Shayana Jenkins pretty early on he had known her for a really long time all the way since elementary school but he was still hanging out with the wrong crowd and that's kind of when he started smoking a lot of pot drinking you know just kind of going into some pretty bad situations and he was even smoking before school before practices and games like he was pretty deep down the rabbit hole yeah but at just 14 years old Hernandez committed to play at UConn with his older brother DJ and where their dad had also played and wanted both of his sons to play so the University of Connecticut offered him a scholarship at just 14 years old yeah it's a big deal so even smoking pot and drinking and stuff it's not affecting his football no and it should unfortunately but i mean those kind of situations this is kind of what happens people turn a blind eye to bad behavior when they're good at sports yep but after his dad had died he had changed his mind and instead of going to yukon he chose to play football for the university of florida under head coach urban meyer and urban meyer even flew to connecticut and convinced Hernandez's principal to allow him to graduate more than a semester early and this allowed Hernandez to move to Florida join the team and learn the playbook right after his 17th birthday yeah so he was too young he was already too young not ready he was already too young but this is a really big deal though for Urban Meyer the head coach of a program like the University of Florida to go and talk to the principal like in sports circles, that's going to carry some pretty heavy weight. You know, Urban Meyer's gone on to oh, coach yeah. at Ohio State. He coaches the Jacksonville Jaguars right now. There's rumors he might go to USC. Like, there's a lot there. And Urban Meyer, especially right at this point, he's a big deal. Oh, yeah. And Hernandez's principal even said that he felt pressure to do this. Oh, I'm sure he did. Absolutely. Like, he knew he wasn't ready. Yeah, I'm sure he felt pressure so. to do it because that talented, that early, they're going to want him. No doubt. And he obviously wasn't ready for college in any way, shape, or form. But he graduated early, but 
like we talked about, it wasn't because of his academics. It was only because of football. And it was pretty obvious that in hindsight, he was struggling really hard, not just in school, but mentally he had so much going on. He was angry and he was getting more and more dependent on these drugs that he was taking. And he had this deep seated childhood trauma that was never dealt with. So on top of all of this, he starts to question his own sexuality and There've been a lot of rumors that he had some relationships with some former teammates, but we'll get, we'll get into that a little bit later. Yeah. So Hernandez was not academically prepared for college at all, like you said, and he had to take remedial courses at Santa Fe Community College. A lot of his teammates had to do this, especially the ones that were recruited early, like he was. It makes sense. You know, this isn't you know, just a Florida state thing. This is what the big programs do when they get kids in that really aren't ready to be there. But at Florida state, like it's really almost a full-time job between practices, games, team meetings, film, going to the, the gym. I mean, you're putting in easy 40 to 60 hours a week just on football and not counting any of the other academic stuff you've got to be doing. Right. He was pretty good. So as a freshman in 2007, Hernandez even started three games for the Gators, which, again, that's kind of a big deal. And he did well in those games, too. He didn't just get in. He he did really well. Yeah. And though he excelled his freshman year, he actually was benched for the season opener of his sophomore year because he had failed a drug test. You know, again, he's these demons are coming back to haunt him. But following that, though, he started 11 of the next 13 games, and he even had five touchdowns that season. So he bounced back pretty well and you know was he was able to at least keep things under wraps well enough yeah in the 2009 bcs national championship game which is the biggest game of college football hernandez was the star he led the gators in receiving yards and even helped beat the oklahoma sooners who oklahoma sooners is a really big program too and the gators won their second championship in three years because of what Aaron Hernandez was able to do on the field. Yep. And as a junior, after leading the team in receptions with 60, oh gosh, we don't care about any of these football stats. Yeah, that's way too- he was really good. Yeah, he was really, really good. He won the John Mackey Award, and he was known as the nation's best tight end in college football. He was a first team, all Southeastern Conference, recognized as an All-American, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, obviously he was, he was super great at all of this. During his final game, he threw the ball into the stands to celebrate a touchdown and the excessive display risked a personal foul penalty but sports writers saw an athlete with little to lose personally if he chose to go to the NFL instead of returning for another year of college football they could tell that he was so good at football and he was so bad at college that they were like dude just go pro yeah like you're terrible at school and just go pro and that's not a surprise either that happens a lot where guys are obviously just there for sports they get through where they can because in football you have to be three years removed from your high school graduating class before you can go pro that's why so many guys go to college you have to you have to do something right Aaron even admitted that he was high before every single game that he took the field for and Urban Meyer wanted to remove him from the team but he he relented on it because of what happened from one of his other players Tim Tebow Tebow wanted to give him another shot and Meyer paired the two up on multiple occasions, hoping that Tebow would be a good influence on Hernandez because anyone who knows Tim Tebow knows he's probably probably as close to a saint as we have walking among us today. So, you know, it makes sense again, why, why Urban Meyer would think, okay, Tebow, if, if anyone's going to do something, it's going to be you. Right. Eventually though, after Hernandez's junior year, Meyer told him, Hey, we're not going to welcome you back for a fourth year. So, you need to try and go and get picked up and go to the draft because, you know, that was going to be it for him. So he knew he was done and he had a really wonderful college career. He had 111 receptions, 1300 yards and 12 touchdowns. And that's really, really good. But on January 6, 2010, Hernandez announced his decision to forego his senior year, which wasn't really his decision. They pretty much said, you're not welcome back. Right. He entered the draft and he attended the NFL scouting combine. But he wasn't able to perform any physical drills because he tore a muscle in his back. So on March 17, 2010, he participated at Florida's Pro Day and performed all the drills then. And he rocked it. He was breaking records. He was looking amazing. He should have been like first round draft pick. 
Yeah, and this happens a lot. You know, a lot of times guys who are injured, they'll go and they'll do pro days at their schools and and sometimes they'll just skip combines altogether and just do the pro days. But Mike Mayock, who's an NFL analyst, he said that the off-field concerns and concerns over his even his physical size because again, he wasn't the biggest guy. It was causing his draft stock to plummet down. Like you said, he was projected to go really high and he looked great, but the off-field concerns yeah. are there are something that teams keep an eye on. Well, most teams. <laughs> most teams, right. There's a couple of them that we'll find out don't. <laughs> it was believed, though, that Hernandez was still going to be picked up in the second round, which is still obviously very high. And even at the conclusion of the pre-draft process, he was still projected to be a high second-round pick by really all of the NFL teams. Yeah. He was even ranked the third highest tight end in the whole process by Bleacher Report. So he's, a, again, like... Everything's shaping up for this guy, even with all the issues he's having. He's still kind of landing on his feet. Yeah, but his draft stock plummeted because he was a train wreck off the field during college. Multiple teams passed on him based only on character flaws, not on his athletic ability. Because, like we said, he was great. Yeah. But the Colts, the Bengals, the Dolphins, everybody was like, no thanks, because they were worried about his off-the-field antics. He also received the lowest possible score in social maturity, which is like a test they get that they, you know, in this whole process, he received the lowest possible score. And a lot of teams were like, no way, we're not going to take a chance on this guy. That's a big red flag. Yeah, because he had a lot of run-ins with the law throughout his college years. Mostly minor stuff, but according to Aaron himself, he was real jumpy in bars and nightclubs, and he was, like, paranoid, and that could have been from his drug use, and a lot of things say weed, but then you read a little bit deeper into this, and there were some harder drugs going on, too. He was paranoid, and he took any little minor slight, you know, if somebody bumped into him in a nightclub, he thought they were trying to start a fight, or he was real agitated. Yeah, and and an example of some of this like bad behavior was in April of 2007. Again, he's just 17 years old. He went to a restaurant with Tebow, and they had a couple of drinks, but when it came time to pay, he refused to pay the bill. He got in a verbal altercation with the manager, and when the manager was walking away, Hernandez got up and sucker punched him in the side of the head and ended up rupturing the guy's eardrum. So that's a pretty vicious hit. Yeah. The police got there about... It is. Yeah, that's not that's gnarly. But when the police got there, it was about 117, and Hernandez called Urban Meyer, and Urban called the team's quote-unquote unofficial lawyer, Huntley Johnson. The police wanted to charge Hernandez with felony battery, but at the time... The victim had already talked to Urban Meyer and the and the lawyers and stuff, and so he told him that, "Hey, we're we're reaching a settlement on this. Like, no problem. We don't need to we don't need to take this any further." The team denies that any of this happened, but it was eventually settled out of the court, so it's probably pretty true. Yeah. Another major issue was in September of two thousand and seven. A car with three men in it were stopped at a red light in Gainesville, Florida after leaving a nightclub and somebody ran up to the car and fired five shots into the car. One of the men was struck in the back of the head and another one was shot in the arm. And the backseat passenger who wasn't hit told the cops the shooter was a Hispanic man weighing about 230 and had a lot of tattoos, and he picked a photo of Hernandez out of a lineup. The police told Urban Meyer they wanted to speak with Aaron and a couple of the other teammates that he was with that night, and the players all talked to Huntley Johnson, the unofficial lawyer, and they came in hours and hours later after the cops had said, you need to get him down here right now. Yeah. But they all cooperated. They all answered all the questions and everything except Hernandez. He invoked his right to counsel and refused to answer any questions. Oh, well, (laughs) that makes sense when you are probably the person who did it. Yeah. And when they came in to talk to him, he had his head down on the desk and they said it appeared that he was sleeping. If you're being questioned in a shooting, you're calm enough to just sleep. Yeah, there's no time for sleeping. (laughs) Sleeping's not an option. Yeah, that seems kind of crazy. Yes. If you didn't do it, you're getting charged for it. Yeah, probably not sleeping anytime soon. You're going to be a little jumpy. (laughs) I, I, well, I feel like I would be, yeah. Yeah. So no charges were ever filed in this case, but these are some of the like character flaws that these NFL teams were seeing 
from his college years that they were like, you know what? I don't know if we want to deal with the Plexico Burris situation, you know? Uh, <laughs> wow, you're going into the archives for that one. <laughs> uh, that Yeah, Plexico had what, like a gun in his shoe or on his ankle or something and shot in a nightclub? Well, that's but... what he says. Yeah. Wow. I had to think about that one. Nice reference. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> yeah. So even with all of these red flags, though, he was still drafted, and he was drafted by the New England Patriots in the fourth round. So, yeah, of course. In the fourth round, though, so he dropped a lot. He was expected to go two and fell to four. That's But this is where teams start taking chances on people who are supposed to go higher. So this makes sense for a guy who has issues that they're going to take a chance on him. He went with the 113th pick overall of the 2010 NFL draft. And the day before the Patriots drafted the then Arizona tight end, Rob Gronkowski, who most people, especially football fans would know Gronk and his huge larger than life personality. And to kind of give an idea of size difference, Gronk's about six, 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 seven, and probably about two sixty five to seven, nah, not two seventy, probably about two sixty five or so. So obviously he's a lot bigger than Aaron Hernandez. When Hernandez was taken, he was the sixth tight end that was drafted in 2010. And despite being considered a top tight end prospect, multiple teams chose not to draft him because of him being a problem. Yeah. So on April 27, 2010, the Boston Globe reported from multiple sources that Hernandez had admitted to scouts and team reps during interviews that he had a history of drug use and had failed multiple drug tests in college that were covered up. And later that day, the Patriots released a statement from Hernandez who said that he had failed only one drug test while he was in college and was candid about it to interested teams. And he wrote a letter to every team, offered to be tested every other week. Patriots owner Robert Kraft said that after Hernandez's arrest that the Patriots drafted him because he gained their trust by telling them that they had absolutely nothing to worry about in a letter that he sent to them. So he was pretty much like he had to write letters to NFL teams to get them to take a chance on him. Right. Because he was such a dick. (laughs) yeah Aaron really wanted to play for the Patriots because that was his hometown team I mean obviously he wasn't from Boston exactly but New England the New England area so yeah Connecticut was you know he wasn't too far away from home at that point right so after the Patriots drafted him they were able to sign Aaron to a four-year 2.37 million dollar contract that included a 200,000 signing bonus and the terms of his contract limited Aaron's bonus to only 200000 which was about less than half of what the signing bonus was yeah. for a normal draftee at that point. The Patriots said that they declined to give Hernandez the entire expected 500000 signing bonus because he was a risk and this was a precautionary measure. So to compensate yeah, for Yeah, they this, were nervous. Yeah, exactly. But... They kind of got him on the back end because to compensate for the smaller signing bonus, he received different incentives in his contract that included like series of roster and workout bonuses, then all totaled up to about 700,000. So he was able to make that and then some. And if Hernandez reached all of his bonuses and escalators, he would then receive an annual salary comparable to what a third round draft pick would be making. But to get this, he'd still have to, you know, walk that straight line to do so right so during camp Hernandez competed to be a starting tight end blah 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 this is a lot of football talk and the reason that we're going so deep into the football talk is because he was an amazing football player he and Gronkowski were killing it their rookie years in the NFL yeah they really were and in in 2010 the Patriots finished the season first in the AFC East which was pretty standard for them And on January 16th of 2011, Hernandez got to start in his first career playoff game, and he caught one pass for a four-yard gain, and the Patriots lost that game. But in February of 2011, Hernandez had hip surgery, and he entered training camp slated as the backup tight end and competed to be the second tight end on the team. So this is kind of where during a training camp, wide receiver Chad Johnson arrived in a trade from the Bengals. And Johnson, by this time, had legally changed his last name to Ocho Cinco based on his uniform number. Yep. So Aaron let him have number 85, and Aaron went back to his college number of 81. 
And the reason this is important is because they both say that there was no money exchanged and this transaction was just a kind gesture between teammates and blah, blah, blah. But it's later speculated that Johnson paid Aaron $75,000 for this and Aaron used that money to buy drugs and illegal guns. And it was kind of used to finance like a wholesale marijuana distribution chain. So, yeah. So there was things that even... In his legitimate career, he was using the money to do illegitimate things, supposedly. That makes sense. That's what people like that do, you know. Yeah. Belichick named Hernandez the secondary starting tight end to start the regular season alongside the primary tight end, Rob Gronkowski. And Belichick continued to increase the use of the Patriots, quote, 12 personnel. And according to NBC Sports, Hernandez and Gronkowski were the first pair of NFL tight ends to in history to each have at least five touchdowns in a consecutive season for the same team. In 2011, they also set NFL records for yardage, receptions, and touchdowns by tight ends on the team. The success of Hernandez and the Gronkowski tandem, it Honestly, it revolutionized the tight end position. Multiple teams tried to recreate the success that the Patriots had. Hernandez was considered to be the top H-back in the league. That year, the Patriots finished first in the AFC like normal, and they went on to the Super Bowl. Hernandez started in his first Super Bowl. And obviously, he's pretty good at football. And so the Patriots awarded him a five-year $39.58 million contract extension that included $15.95 million guaranteed and another signing bonus of $12.5 million. So with that... They're starting to trust him. Right. They're starting to trust him. And this was the largest signing bonus ever by an NFL tight end. And his $40 million total was the second largest contract extension ever for a tight end. And it was second only to Rob Gronkowski, his own teammate. Yep. Despite his success on the field and financially, he was not popular with his fellow teammates at all. It's been said that he had almost no friends on the Patriots. Brady was overheard after a game telling Tim Tebow that he was trying to steer Hernandez in the right direction, but called him a lot to handle. And Tebow had previously tried to help him, too, when they were on the Florida Gators together. So Tebow knew. Tebow absolutely knew. But Hernandez wasn't helping himself either when he hired two of his own friends from Bristol, and they both had criminal records. He hired them as assistants, and he hired one of them, this Alexander Bradley. This guy was his drug dealer, and this was now his personal assistant. And one of Bradley's duties was to calm him down during his like fits of rage and paranoia but also to obtain weapons for him so this isn't a great guy to be involved and drugs with. And, yeah well yeah. exactly and there are a lot of other incidents where bradley and hernandez were together and getting in trouble for things like drunk driving and speeding and there's way more that we can't go into because we're trying to keep this episode short a lot of times he would use his name to get out of things like duis and stuff like that and it's like ugh. He was kind of causing a ruckus. Oh, yeah, definitely. So somewhere around this time, Hernandez and Shayana, they get engaged and they have a baby. So at this point, he buys a mansion in Massachusetts for him and his growing family. And he vows that he's going to stop being so reckless and change his life. But he was still keeping a second apartment, like a secret from his family, and used it to store drugs and weapons, and he'd go there to chain smoke marijuana and do drugs. And there was reports of a lot of bad behavior, but nothing was serious enough to cause, like, huge red flags. Until June 18th of 2013, that's when police showed up and they searched Hernandez's home in connection with the shooting death of a guy named Odin Lloyd, who was a friend of Aaron's. And Odin Lloyd was shot seven times and they found him in an industrial park about a mile away from Aaron's house. And he assured Robert Kraft and Bill Belichick that he had nothing to do with these murders, but they banned him from Gillette Stadium until they knew more because he ran straight there. And they decided that if he was involved in any way that they were going to cut him as soon as they had any kind of confirmation. And on June 26, 2013, Hernandez was arrested on first-degree murder charges. So the Pats released him 90 minutes later before they even knew what the charge was. Bill Cheat was like, nope, we're done. <laughs> you stuck your Bill Cheat in there anyway. Oh, did I say Billichit? Sorry. I wrote Billichek, too, on the notes, so I wouldn't say it. <laughs> Sorry, guys. He's a cheating son. Okay, anyway. <laughs> 
So two other like low-life friends of Hernandez were also arrested in connection with this murder of Lloyd. And in August, he was indicted. And by April of 2015, after a highly publicized trial, he was convicted and sentenced to life without parole. During that trial, we learned that on June 16th of 2013, Aaron texted two friends from from Bristol, one Carlos Ortiz and the other was Ernest Wallace, and asked them to come to Massachusetts. And he texted Owen Lloyd and said he was coming to pick something up from him and he wanted to hang out with him a little bit. It was suspected that he was probably going to pick up drugs, but we don't really know. And Lloyd got there. He was picked up by Hernandez and his two friends in the early morning hours of June 17th. He texted his sister from the car and he said did you see who i'm with nfl just so you know at 3:23 a.m the car they were in is seen on surveillance video entering like a secluded industrial area that odin lloyd's body was found and by 3:30 a.m they're seen leaving and returning to hernandez's home on his home surveillance videos prosecutors also say that lloyd had the keys to a car that was rented by hernandez in his pocket at the time of his murder but prosecutors believe that lloyd might have said something that caused aaron not to trust him anymore which could have been what led to this motive of why he did what he did. And they found a lot more than just the keys to the rental car that was in Hernandez's name. They found a joint with DNA on it, gum, a bullet casing. They had the video surveillance from his house where he had a gun in his hand. Like It was pretty open and shut that he was guilty of this. But there is a lot more going on in this trial. His fiance Cheyenne Jenkins, is charged with perjury. Later, that's dismissed. Turns out that her sister was dating Odin Lloyd, and that's how this was all connected. So she's sitting on one side of the court, her sister's on the other. It was was really tense. Really tense, yeah. And during a search warrant, they find surveillance video from his own house of him and the two accomplices before they left, before the murder, and then coming home after the murder. And there's a gun in the video, and... They find destroyed cell phones and videos of his fiance taking things out of the house after he sends her text saying, hey, throw this away. It's really messy. But eventually he's convicted, which was pretty obvious from the video surveillance and all the texts and DNA and everything. But there is one major thing they do find during the course of the investigation. When they search his cousin Tanya's home, they find a silver SUV in the garage that was a rented car that matched the description of a car involved in a 2012 double homicide near a nightclub in Boston. And this is really when things start to get messy. I mean, this whole thing is messy already, but this is when the dots all start to connect. Yep. So on July 16th, 2012, so this is well before he's arrested for Odin Lloyd's murder, near the Cure Lounge, which is a nightclub on Boston's South End. Daniel De Abreu and Sefiro Teixeira Furtado were killed by gunshots fired into their car. And witnesses testified that Hernandez's SUV pulled up next to the victims. Someone from his car yelled racial slurs at the victims and then fired five shots, killing both men. And the police immediately identified Hernandez, who was actively playing for the Patriots then, on the club's security camera footage, but they thought it was a coincidence. They were like, oh, crazy, Aaron Hernandez was at the club the same night this murder happened. It's like, that's because he is the murderer. (laughs) Right. But they don't know that. They just kind of dismiss it as a coincidence. Right, but they are kind of starting to connect the dots like we talked about. And so... Well, in the beginning, they thought it was a coincidence, though, is what I'm talking about. Right, right. Yeah, of course. But now that they find this car and everything... Yeah. And while Hernandez was awaiting trial for the Odin Lloyd murder... He then gets indicted for murder charges of the killings of Diabreu and Furtado. He was also charged with armed assault and attempted murder for the people in the car that survived the shooting. There's a whole lot going on. So the trial begins on March 1st, 2017, and the prosecution's case was really strongly based on a testimony by Alexander Bradley, his assistant and known drug dealer at the time. Aaron had been feuding with him and... These guys had some pretty major beef, and Bradley says that Hernandez was the shooter, and Hernandez says that Bradley was the shooter, so they went back and forth on that. Yeah, and this is when things get wild, because Jose Baez is Hernandez's attorney in this second trial. Who the hell is Jose Baez? You said it like I should know who that is. Jose Baez? He was Casey Anthony's attorney, the one that got Casey Anthony off from killing her daughter. Oh, yeah, I I never would have known that. Oh, yeah, he's... Obviously an incredible lawyer getting murderers off. (laughs) 
I wish wish you could be better at other things. Yeah. So, like you said, they were kind of pointing the fingers at each other, Bradley and Hernandez. And Bradley says that Aaron flipped out over these guys spilling a drink on him at the nightclub hours before the shooting. And that they had killed them in retaliation and security camera footage confirmed that Hernandez was in the club for less than 10 minutes and he calmly posed for photos with a fan and they say that the security footage shows him leaving by himself which contradicts Bradley's testimony but they were kind of both pointing the fingers at each other so it seems like at some point they obviously met back up yeah definitely Baez did make a good argument though about the police investigation because it was super sloppy the police thought this was just like some random gang shooting, I guess. And they were just like, oh, tow this car. They literally put sheets over the victim's bodies and towed the car oh, wow. with their bodies in the car. Yeah, that's bad. That's real bad. Yeah, that's not protocol. No. Like, not a, that's not, not how that works. Besides there being no physical evidence tying Hernandez to the murders, there was some problems with the case on this one. But according to the Boston Globe, there was, quote, powerful evidence that Hernandez was at the scene and played a role in their deaths, unquote. But on April 14th, 2017, Hernandez was acquitted of the murders. He was also charged with the witness intimidation, but was acquitted of that too. Yeah, so the only charge he was found guilty of was illegal possession of a handgun. Right. But the really interesting thing that we learned during the second trial is the reason that Hernandez and Bradley were feuding. Exactly, and they're feuding because in February of 2013, Hernandez, Bradley, and several others visited a Florida strip club where they rang up a $10,000 bill. It's a hefty price tag. Yeah, I'm like, excuse me. Yeah. T- are you buying the strip club? Yeah, he What the hell? No problem just dropping any kind of amounts of cash for a good time. But yeah. the real problem, with, though, was that Aaron took notice of two guys sitting across from him in the strip club, and he started to think that they were cops. So his paranoia is starting to play with him again. And Bradley, like, kind of roasted him and was like, yeah, they're probably Boston cops. They're probably tracking us for that shooting. Yeah, which... Obviously not a good idea. No. But Hernandez and Bradley had a strained relationship at this point, and Bradley claimed that he woke up in a car with Aaron Hernandez over him pointing a gun at his head, and then he doesn't remember anything else, and then the police find him the next morning in a parking lot bleeding from a gunshot wound between the eyes. Oh, man. Now- He lives, but he lost his right eye in this incident. So the police wanted him to cooperate, and they were like, excuse me, who shot you? And he's like, nah, I'll handle this myself, because he wanted revenge. Or he wanted money. Yeah. yeah. (laughs) But either way, that's crazy. Crazy business. But the two exchanged over 500 texts in the next few months, including extortion and death threats. And Bradley even told Hernandez that he had some, quote-unquote, automatic weapons, bulletproof vests, and a crew that ran ran six deep. And Hernandez's agent tried to settle the matter quietly. Bradley was demanding $5 million to keep his silence, and Hernandez countered back with $1.5 million. Bradley then asked for $2.5 million, and Hernandez never answered that again. Later on in June of 2013, Bradley filed a civil lawsuit for damages against Hernandez in the Florida federal court system. And he dropped it four days later to give the two a chance to work out a settlement before the media got involved. And Hernandez's lawyers filed like a postponement request in the federal court until his murder charges were resolved. And after he was convicted of Odin Lloyd's murder, Hernandez reached a settlement with Bradley and the terms of the settlement have never been disclosed. So obviously he paid him off. Oh, yeah, I think it's obvious just how much he paid him off. You know, who knows? Yeah, we'll never know. Right. What's really crazy about that, though, is I don't know how they couldn't take those texts of Alexander Bradley extorting him for money or he was going to talk about the Boston homicides. Like, how was that not evidence and yeah. that they did it? Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. You know, you'd think that those would yeah. be, you know, be able to be used. But Kind of weird. Other things came up, too 
later, like a lot of DV calls and fights and drug deals that may have been involved. He later told inmates that he was actually a blood. The Boston Globe described Hernandez as being strangely content when he was in jail, which is kind of weird. Like he went from this lavish lifestyle and doing whatever he wanted and getting away with whatever he wanted to being stuck in a tiny little cell. And he was fine with it. I, I get it. Like I understand it. He even told his mom that he was the most relaxed and less stressed in jail than he'd ever been in his in his life absolutely this makes sense he was running ragged crazy life he did sure he wanted to kind of slow down a little bit and now he was forced to i get how this and the structure of it makes a lot of sense for him yeah he didn't stay out of trouble in jail though because he broke prison rules he was screaming banging on his cell door drug use fighting like he was a muck in prison too but he was thriving yeah and the boston globe said that Prison officials seemed to turn a blind eye to Hernandez's drug use and neglected to safeguard their, you know, famous inmate. But other inmates remember Hernandez needing medical attention after smoking too much K2 while in prison. And K2 is like a synthetic kind of marijuana drug. Oh, is it? Yeah. Oh. I was, I knew that. When I was was, looking this up, I thought it was ketamine. Well, that's what I thought too when I first heard it. But when I looked into it, I thought it was more of like a synthetic drug and maybe it was, or a synthetic marijuana. And maybe there's some ketamine, you know, mixed in with it too. I don't know. Well, we wouldn't know. We're not the authorities on drugs. Do not listen to us. Yeah, we I think it's a synthetic marijuana. So I feel like of the two people on the planet, we probably have the least experience with drugs. Uh, I would say it's probably pretty accurate. <laughs> pretty, at least yeah. pretty close. Yeah. So Hernandez could speak to his fiance Jenkins on the phone and they did a lot and all those phone calls were recorded and then released which kind of was like I felt weird listening to their phone calls it's like it felt very personal yeah I always feel weird listening to those kind of phone calls too yeah but he could only see his daughter when his mom visited him because Jenkins was facing perjury charges that were later dropped but she couldn't visit him in jail because of the perjury charges. Crazy. Yeah. Also crazy. On April 19th of 2017, this is just five days after Hernandez was acquitted from the 2012 Boston double homicide. A correction officers found Hernandez hanging from bedsheets from his window in his cell. And he was transported to the hospital where he was pronounced dead at 4.07 a.m. Again, he had been smoking K2, according to some of his fellow inmates. Yeah. So State Department of Corrections spokesperson Chris. Christopher Fallon first said that no suicide note was found, but then later they said that he wrote three suicide notes, one to Shayana, one to his lawyer, and one to his daughter. Mm. And it was said that he had a Bible next to him open to John 3.16, and that John 3.16 was written on his forehead and like on the walls. And Shampoo was found covering the floor. Cardboard was wedged under the cell door to make it difficult for someone to enter and there were drawings in blood on the walls showing an unfinished pyramid and an all seeing eye of God with the word Illuminati written in capital letters underneath. And I've heard that that's a rumor. It sounds like a rumor. We'll never know because we're not going to see the crime scene photos. But his attorney, Jose Baez, later wrote a book called Unnecessary Roughness, and he printed the suicide note in his book. Oh, wow. At least the one that was addressed to him. I'm not sure if he printed the other ones. Yeah. I guess his thanked him for securing the acquittal in the double homicide and anticipated that he would win his appeal in the Odin Lloyd case, which it's like, if you thought you were going to win, why'd you off yourself? But we'll get to that. So the other two notes were addressed to his fiance and his daughter, and he told Jenkins, you're rich, which prosecutors in the Lloyd case believe was a reference to abatement ab initio. And it's some stupid old school legal doctrine in the state of Massachusetts that vacates a conviction if the person dies before their appeals are exhausted. And this is a big deal because... It's a huge deal because it means a lot of money's at stake. Exactly. And prison officials had not observed any signs that Hernandez was at risk of suicide, so he wasn't even put on suicide watch. And why would he? He was just acquitted of murder charges five days prior. Right. So after the completion of the autopsy by the medical examiner, the death was officially ruled a suicide by hanging. At the request of his family, his brain was released to Boston University to be studied for signs of CTE. Chronic traumatic encephalopathy. Yeah. It's a degenerative disease found in people who've had severe blows to the head or repeated blows to the head. And CTE is found very common in football players. Yeah. And one of the biggest 
side effects of CTE is suicide. Yep, absolutely. Baez quickly disputed suicide and said that he would conduct his own investigation. However, in 2018, Baez wrote that he initially was suspicious of suicide finding, given Hernandez's optimistic demeanor and after the acquittal and the double homicide, but he did later come to believe that Aaron did take his own life with CTE being a major contributing factor. And after his brain was removed, Hernandez's body was cremated and the ashes were given to his family. Yep. We could go on for hours about CTE and the side effects and all that stuff, but that didn't cause him to murder people. He was a dick. He had a shitty childhood and he had a lot of traumatic brain injuries, which did probably cause a lot of his paranoia and all that stuff. But there's been tons of other football players that have had CTE that don't kill anybody. Yes, but Aaron Hernandez did have a very severe case of CTE, so I will not call him did. a dick. I, I, I think what he did was terrible stuff, but I think that there was a lot going on, and it was this perfect storm of this kid who was sexually abused, physically abused, mentally abused, and then on top of it had physical trauma or physical brain trauma. So I... I'm not calling him a dick. I think he had a lot going on with him. And I don't think he was always, you know, thinking as clearly as, as a normal person would be. So no, of course not. And he had a lot of stuff that happened to him. You're right. And he never got help for any of it, which is a huge problem. Huge problem. Definitely. Definitely. Yeah. But he also used his money and his talent and all that stuff to his advantage. He and sure he was did. very entitled and, you know, he had some he had some personality flaws. Yeah, I definitely think I he was say. a douchebag, you know, but I think yeah. Some of his behavior was caused by this. Yeah. So two days before his death, reporter Michelle McPhee appeared on the Kirk and Callahan sports radio show. And during this show, she and the other two hosts used like kind of jokes and innuendo to imply that Hernandez was gay. And it's been kind of suggested that this public outing might have played a role in his suicide since he had never really come to terms or been very open about his sexuality. Yeah, not being very open was definitely a thing Aaron Hernandez you know, struggled with. Yeah, of course. After his death, a high school teammate, Dennis Sansusi, described a secret homosexual relationship between the two that lasted three years. And Hernandez's brother, DJ, his mom, Terry, and their attorney, Jerry Le- Leonter. George. George? George. Yep. Sure does say George. Did I say Larry? That's right. You said Jerry, I think. Jerry, Terry, (laughs) gosh. Hernandez's brother, his mom, Terry, and their attorney, George Leonter, report that Hernandez came out as gay to his mom and his ex-girlfriend while he was in prison. And Leonter, who is gay himself, said of his client that he, he was clearly gay and described the, quote, immense pain that it caused him, unquote. And that he had a lot of self-hatred that came up from growing in a culture that was really anti-gay. And according to Lintyre, Hernandez believed that the sexual abuse he experienced as a boy caused him to become gay. And a college girlfriend, which I thought he was with Cheyenne Jenkins this whole time, but a college girlfriend. No, they broke up when he went away to college. Oh, did he? Oh. Yeah. A college girlfriend said that he never dealt with the sexual abuse and it led to issues in his sexuality. And Sansusi stated that Hernandez was terrified that his father was going to find out about him being gay. Yeah. And the Boston Globe reported that Hernandez was prone to going on homophobic rants in his prison phone calls and that one phone call he admitted that he was attracted to men and said that it made him angry Hmm. that he was attracted to men so it's kind of weird and the patriots (laughs) we know some people like that too that's why they didn't go to the drag show at the bachelor party (laughs) yeah yeah grant has a couple of closeted gay friends that won't go to drag shows But anyway, there's been a couple of former Patriots players that have said that he would expose his genitalia in the locker room and talk about gay sex and stuff like that. But there's really no way to know. And without him being here, I don't know that it's really anybody's like place to talk about somebody else's like sex life. I will say that that kind of stuff is pretty common behavior in a locker room, like to be naked and to talk about those kinds of it. That is pretty common behavior. However, I've heard a lot that it went 
past what the normal common right. behavior was. And that was the problem with it. Like, is that what I want to say? Yeah. The problem? Yeah, it's fine. So it's fine. fucking Brandon Lloyd. Damn it. I knew that too. I couldn't. Th- I knew his last name was Lloyd, but I couldn't think of his first name. That's right. Can we just say this last yeah. sentence so we could be done with this episode? I'm, we said we weren't going to make this super long and we made it as long as we could. <laughs> <laughs> Prosecutors wanted to raise the issue of his, sexu- of his sexuality during the 2012 double homicide trial. And that scared Hernandez. He wanted to keep his sexuality a secret. And after his death, his fiance Jenkins said that she never saw any indication that he was gay she said i wish i had known he how he felt just so we could have talked about it i wouldn't have disowned him i would have been supportive i can't fault him if he was feeling that way when you love someone so much you just want to be there for him and support them the fact that he couldn't come out to me or he couldn't tell me things really hurts because we had that bond i've accepted that he may have been the way he was said to be or that it may not be true regardless i won't know end quote yeah Which is really sad. She won't ever know because he didn't tell her. But the reason why it was important that Aaron killed himself and that abatement ab inito was in effect was because when he died, it vacated his conviction of killing Odin Lloyd. Yeah, so there was a lot of money at stake because the Patriots owed him money on his contract, which turned out they'd ended up not having to pay that out because he was released from his contract before his conviction, so it wasn't based on his conviction. But the Patriots got screwed a little bit in a couple of ways too because after this whole thing came out, they offered anybody who had Hernandez paraphernalia or jerseys or anything... They were exchanging them for other jerseys in their team store and then destroying all the Hernandez paraphernalia. And they said that that cost him like $250,000. Yep. Which I know is like a drop in the bucket for the Patriots, but still a sizable amount. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. But I don't have any sympathy for the Patriots. They're a bunch of cheating scumbags. So, (laughs) well, they're not very good anymore. So you can be happy. Yeah. I just don't like Bill Belichick. I think he does stuff and pays for players that. Oh, he absolutely does. He tries to turn them around. He's more successful at it than he's not, so can't blame the guy. All right, well, this episode ended up being a lot longer than I wanted it to be. Yep. So we're going to go because I'm super fucking over talking about football. Me too. It's just, you know, it's crazy how much the brain can handle and what it can do, but when it's mistreated, the effects that it has too, it's crazy. I mean, again, this guy could have been the best ever, and instead... He was dead very young and committed a heinous act. Or multiple heinous acts. Yeah, definitely. Probably multiple. Yep. And that's all we have on this case for tonight. So we will see you guys all next week. All right. Love you. Love you too. Bye.